The people of Wuhan have officially been under quarantine for almost two months. Just a couple days before the Lunar New Year in January, all transportation in and out of the larger Hubei province was cut off. One day, roadblocks popped up, and some 56 million residents were sealed off from the outside world. The government ordered they wear masks, stay inside, and report their body temperature on a daily basis. All at once, a city with the population of New York turned into a ghost town. A response the WHO called unprecedented in public health history. A lot is going to be written about the Chinese response to COVID-19. We're probably not the people to write it, and now probably isn't the time to try. But there's a hacked story in here. So the way I see it, you can look at what's happened in Wuhan in two ways. On one hand, the day before I recorded this, the government announced that they were shutting the last of 16 temporary hospitals set up to respond to this crisis. The last residents of a converted indoor sports arena got to go home. In what the state-ran media network Xinhua called a sign of improving conditions. This is all to say that, yeah, they went big with their response, but take this with a grain of Chinese state media-sized salt, that response does seem to be working. On the other hand, a government that censors and monitors people doesn't do it less during a crisis. Stuck in the middle of all of this, there are a bunch of people trapped inside, using the internet to try to make sense of what is going on, to share information and to try to keep living their lives through the portal of a screen that can go places they can't. Which is what we're talking about today. You see, some of those people are kids. Kids who grew up online, kids who know tech, kids who are expected to go to school and do homework remotely online. And it doesn't matter how upside down things seem right now, how uneasy a situation makes you feel, which I say is we're packing up our office to work from home. No matter what happens, kids fucking hate homework. And if you ask them to do that homework remotely via an app, they're going to find a way to hack that system. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how kids are getting out of online homework and a little bit about how adults are getting around online censorship in the heart of Wuhan on this hacked update. Light listener warning, we do curse a couple times in this one, uh, and I don't bleep it out from this point onwards. So enjoy us saying some naughty words in what is far and away the weirdest episode of the show. My name is Scott. I like to work from home every day. It's so much fun. I sit at my desk. I'm so fucking lonely. Yay. I have my... I have my rice. I have my rice. I have so much rice to eat. I have my rice. I have my rice. I think we have a new theme song. Did you record that, you motherfucker? I did record that. <laughs> remote hacked. Remote hacked. Hacked remote. Where are you right now, Scott? I am sitting at my kitchen table, also known as my new office. 
I am socially isolated. You are socially isolated. Let's talk about the OGs of social isolation and all the clever stuff they've been getting up to. I feel like that's the perfect way to start the episode. Perfect. You know, we're working from home. Life's life's gotten very different in the last 72 hours. And uh, other people have been living this life for like a month or two. Mm-hmm. So. People just listen to an opening story where I say, as we pack up our office right now, and that even seems like it was a while ago because that was 72 hours from right this moment that I'm sitting here talking to you um, yeah. when now our office is actually empty. Um, so we're we're going through what some people have been in, in for a couple months now. That's right. Yeah. And those people, you know, to, to bring a light story in such a time, those people have done some incredibly creative hacky things, which I think we should talk about today. 11.8 million people live in Wuhan. I don't know what mm-hmm. percentage of people are kids. It's, That's like a third of Canada, which is where Jordan and I are uh, from. So 2.6 million kids have been locked at home for two months. And the Chinese government, um, I guess it's not really the Chinese government, but the school system has started using an app owned by Alibaba called Ding Talk. Um, DingTalk was like a corporate communications app that was really, really popular. And a few months prior to all of this, they rolled out a bunch of education features. Their online education is apparently super duper uh, popular in China. So you got 2.6 million new users get flooded into this thing called DingTalk. And then, uh, and then, and then what happens, Scott? <laughs> the brilliancy of the youth and future leaders of tomorrow, uh, <laughs> they realize that the algorithms for the app stores delist things that see a wave of negative voting or have enough negative voting. Uh, you know, just like Uber does with drivers. If you get below X stars, they delist you or don't let you drive anymore. So all of the children collectively got together and started downvoting the app in an attempt to have it removed from the app store so that they didn't have to submit their homework. There's no dog to eat your homework. You know, modern problems, modern solutions. Yeah, well, the, like we should just talk about how smart this is. Like, you know, this isn't really a hacked topic, but it is because, you know, these kids found a flaw in a system, figured out a loophole that they could exploit to get something that they wanted. And I think it's pretty brilliant. You know, I think that there's nothing more hacked or hackerish than uh, what some of these young kids figured out. So I think there's probably a wave of amazing future InfoSec employees in this grouping of children. Seriously clever. Talk to me a little bit about this larger culture of like workarounds online in China. Cause it's like, it's not just the kids finding these exploits. There was 516 new words added to the WeChat banned words list in the last two months. Most of them surrounding COVID-19 kids are finding workarounds, but, so are adults. Yeah, well, you got to resort to speaking in codes when the when the government, you know, like we're seeing in China, has such direct control over the technology companies, like you know WeChat and so many of these other platforms that, like, we don't even really know about or have here in North America. They're very, you know, um, like Ch- China has one point whatever billion people that they can have their own kind of major tech companies, and it's not an issue. So you know, WeChat, what they do is they've uh, this group was looking into it the other day and they found out that every time you open it, actually it reaches out to the government servers and says, Hey, what keywords are banned? 
uh, and refresh is kind of like a blacklist that the app messaging app uses. So when you send a message with any of these keywords in it, like COVID or Corona, uh, that message never gets to the recipient. So they've had to create kind of their own lexicon of code words to kind of bypass these security controls. Hmm. They had to find a solution that allowed them to get around um, a certain system, almost like a bunch of kids downvoting a homework app. Yeah, almost exactly the same. So, you know, it turns (laughs) out that creative young minds turned into creative, you know, more mature minds. I won't say old minds. Yeah, so did you hear about what happened in Iran? Hit me. They created an app and they, you know, sent it out to tens of millions of Iranians uh, through kind of, I think, a notification system. And the app was supposed to be able to diagnose whether you had COVID or Corona or not. (laughs) But in reality, all it did was immediately send your location to the government. You've got to be kidding me apparently apparently and they literally used their like national broadcast system to notify everybody to say hey go download this why would the iranian government want to know people's location i mean i in general and specifically when it comes to coronavirus that doesn't seem like that doesn't seem like the most useful data point for the government to have yeah i have no idea what their end goal was but apparently that's what it did maybe they're just thinking ahead maybe they're maybe. Uh, on the other side of this, it sure would be great to have some malware on everybody's phone, and this seems like a great <laughs> opportunity to do it. Yeah, let's let's take this opportunity that's been given to us in this crisis and leverage it to just deploy massive amounts of malware. <laughs> so, on one hand, you've got um, a government that is actively distributing malware. On the other hand, you have a government that I mean, trying to like. Credit where credit is due. Their response in Wuhan has been uh, massive and historic, and it seems to be actually working. But they're still kind of on their same old, you know, same old bullshit, unnecessarily censoring and monitoring a whole thwack of people. So, what does this tell us about a relationship with the internet? When something like this goes down, does it really reinforce this idea that this is a utility and it needs to be reliable and trustworthy? Well, I think you know it's it's become our medium for communication. Yeah. Like look at what we're doing right now. We're making this podcast over the internet, which is for first for us, but I know many podcasts record like this, but you know, it's, it's our access to information. It's our access to data. It's our access to entertainment. It's our access to food ordering. It's our access to news and update. It's, I don't know. It's our access to everything at this point. Um, you know, our devices aren't the internet. They're just ways to access the internet. You know, our TVs are on it. Our fridges are on it. Our phones are on it. Our computers are on it. The internet is just the the glue that connects us all at this point, I feel. And it's like, that's just showing how much of a necessity it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we're we're getting into the shelter, food, water, and internet set of Markov's um, Who's Markov? Is that right? Markov? Maslow? We should know this. Maslow? Maslow? We work in marketing, we should know this. <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah, Maslow's hierarchy of need. Did I get them right? Probably not. Oh, man, you were cruising into such a nice ending of the episode. Like Sorry, you, you were like Usain bolting across the finish line, and then someone just like just tied your shoelaces together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called me not knowing what I was talking about. It's what tied my shoelaces together. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
keen-eared listeners might have noticed, didn't put any spooky music kind of in the background because the whole world feels like it has spooky background music. Um, next week, we're going to be back on our typical cybercrime beat. Check us out on Twitter at Hacked Podcast. And if you like the show, find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash hackedpodcast. 